Hello and welcome to another episode of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. My name is Julian Carl, CEO and co-founder of Synergen Group and very happy to share with you this latest episode. So in today's episode, I speak with Bianca Bauron-Cuddle, who is the Head of Customer Success at Intuit. And I think it's a particularly interesting interview because, number one, I haven't interviewed someone from uh, with that sort of title before, and I think it's really interesting on, on the play on customer success as opposed to customer service and, and customer, customer experience. And I think, you know, Bianca shares some really interesting insights about her own journey as a leader and, and some of the things that she's noticed about leadership along her way. And importantly, I think, you know, towards the end, she shares with you some pretty powerful insights about the current or the, the CEO of Intuit and what, what he holds and how he holds himself, which I found fascinating as well. So once again, would love to hear what you think. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. Well, welcome Bianca to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time to be a part of it. So that the listeners have a little bit of context, can you share a little bit about who you are and where you work? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Julian. So I work for a company called Intuit, and Intuit are a 35-year-old company headquartered in Mountain View in Silicon Valley in California. And we like to refer to ourselves as a 35-year-old startup. So as a, as a company now, sort of anywhere from eight, about 8,000 employees globally, I lead the customer success function here, headquartered here in Australia. So I, I have a team, um, you know, based here in Sydney, and our role really is to support, you know, our customers, our QuickBooks Online customers predominantly, you know, as they as they transition through and onboard into the product, and obviously look to to retain them as they go through their um their product life cycle. Is there an interesting fact you can tell the the listeners about uh, Intuit that they may not know? Uh, that's a really good question. It depends on how well people know the Intuit story, I suppose. So Intuit was actually an interesting fact about Intuit is something that in terms of how we were actually founded. The founder of our company, Scott Cook, many people who know the, the story of Intuit, it was basically, you know, he created the, he created the, built the business, I should say, based around watching his wife struggle to balance the family checkbook. And in doing so, the rest of the, you know, the business was born, really. They went on to create the product that we know um, as Quicken, which has now evolved into QuickBooks. And then globally, we've got a number of different products, um, you know, that we support customers around the world. So that to me is a, a bit of a fun fact, but it depends on how well you know the Intuit story. So I'd like to take you back, all the way back <laughs> to your very first leadership role. Are you able to share with the listeners a little bit about what that was? Absolutely. So if I think from a leadership perspective, from the traditional people, if I think of from a people management perspective, um, my first leadership role would have been back in, it was about 2006, 2007, if I remember correctly. And I was um, basically asked to... We were just going through a merge. If ever, um, when I was at NYB, we just merged two divisions together, and and two like yeah, two divisions together. And at the time, 
we had one part of the division that I'd worked. I'd worked in both sides of the both divisions, and my role was basically to lead a team of about thirteen people to you know try under this a new merged sort of client services team structure. So um, that was, as I said, that's now going back twelve or so years, which feels like a distant, distant memory. But uh, that would be my first, my first foray, and it was actually as an operations manager in a client services team. Okay, and and what were some of the the biggest learnings that you took away from that very first role? Wow, if I think back of all the mistakes that I made back then, Julian, and, and hopefully what I've learned since then. Uh, so I think some of the the early learnings that I had was I was it was quite a challenging role initially because I was learning a, a whole new part of a business that even though I'd worked in these teams in their previous um, their previous sort of incarnations, you know, in my in my earlier years at, at, in my career. It meant it was, a, it was a whole different, whole different role and a whole different opportunity for me to start to learn. So particularly, I had to learn contact center management, and that was something that was relatively new to me at the time. So I remember spending time with uh, one of the leaders in the in the team, one of my peers in the team, learning one part of the business, and then I had to, you know, really take that next step and actually leading some people, particularly people that had previously been peers. And I would say that was probably one of my biggest challenges and one of my biggest learnings transitioning from being um, a peer and being just a, a direct contributor to actually going into a people leader, that was something that um, that was, was rather difficult at the time. Okay. And were there any particular standouts in terms of uh, mistakes or, or, or actual successes that uh, resonate with you? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll start with the successes and then, and then I'll, um, I'll, I'll close with some of the mistakes. So some of the successes were is that the, the reason why I'd been brought in to, to basically lead this team was I'd, I'd sort of been working on a, on a rotation or a secondment opportunity previously and I'd been leading change across the business. So at that stage, I'd already been with the business for about six years. So I already knew, knew most of the people, knew the business relatively well and so I could build on that foundation of success, particularly where the team knew me, they knew my style, um, they knew that I'd been successful in previous roles so I was able to carry that through um, into this newly merged team. So if you can if you can think of a situation where you had two teams previously where there was, I would say there's a lot of hostility in those two teams previously. So, you know, one team versus another team in, in that sort of almost pitted against each other in, in some ways. And really with me working with them over, over a period, I was with that team for about three years all up working with them at the end, we then went from two very, very disjointed teams to one single team who were focused and aligned on a key mission where we were all really, really working together to kick some major goals. So, you know, engagement was up, team collaboration was up. And, um, but that took a lot of, it took a lot of work and a lot of support from, you know, not just myself, but my, my manager at the time. But, um, but yeah, I was really, really happy with where we landed in terms of when I, when I moved out of that role. If I then flip over to the the learnings, so some of the learnings that I can reflect on is I remember having one very difficult employee who was who was a part of the team, and no matter what I tried to do, he he kind of couldn't see couldn't see the benefit, couldn't see the value, and was just that that person that was always. Um, I'd almost say combative, like he was very, very antagonistic, very um, combative in his approach and just wouldn't, wouldn't, didn't want to be part of it, didn't want to be a team player in many ways. And, you know, I remember at one point we, we ran a, the team was about 110 all up 
and this was spread out over across multiple team sites. I remember him challenging me um, in front of about 40 different employees and it was it was getting to a point where it would have become a heated argument. And so I remember one of the, the best pieces of advice that I'd been given from my leader at the time was, Bianca, just remember that as a leader, you are always on display. So the team were obviously watching me on how to act in this particular situation and how I was going to be able to sort of resolve this disagreement. And the best way to do that was obviously to take it off the floor, you know, we'll step into a meeting room and then work through the differences with this particular employee in a, you know, in a sort of a more, um, in a non-open environment. And we were able to work through that over the years, we were able to rebuild that relationship and work through that more successfully. But I'd say that would have been one of my, my early learnings, I think, moving from individual contributor to a people manager and just being mindful that um, you're always on display. I'm always curious if people decide that leadership's for them after having mm -hmm. a taste of their first leadership role. Was it was mm -hmm. it that way for you? Look, I'd, it's an interesting one because I'd always, if I look back even to sort of early, like early career, sort of late, late even late teens. So I was, um, I've always had a passion for coaching, and that started when I was probably, I'd say, probably 17, 16, 17 years old where I had a passion for, for coaching, learn to swim. Like I'm an, I'm an ex-swimmer and, you know, had a, a competitive, um, you know, had sort of a background as a competitive swimmer growing up. So for me to then move into teaching learn to swim was something where I started to get that gift of being able to help, um, the taste, I should say, of being able to help others. And, you know, early, early on, I remember having a lot of feedback from people saying, you're fantastic with people, you know, you're great with teaching. Um, why don't you become a teacher? And I was like, oh, I don't know at that stage if a, a classroom of, of Bianca's was necessarily something that I aspired to, to do as a career. So, you know, really, it was something that's always had always been in the back of my mind, I think, in, through, in, my, early, in my early career. Uh, so then being given the opportunity to lead teams is always your first opportunity to, to feel like what it takes to lead others. But as I know you can appreciate, I'm sure your listeners can appreciate, Having direct HR responsibility, though, and going through all the, the people challenges that ensues, sometimes can put people off, you know, a career as a, as a people leader. So, you know, I then, you know, I then after, you know, my stint sort of managing this particular team, I then, you know, I then went on to, to have um, my two children. And then I actually switched into an individual contributor role. So I was a, a business analyst for a couple of years and then went back into operations management where I led, went back into people management after, you know, um, after having my first one. And then after that for a couple of years and then went back, then went into product management where I was back to being an individual contributor again. So I've sort of gone, you know, I've led teams. I've been back as an individual contributor. I've gone back to leading teams individual contributor and now I'm back leading people again and for me that's where I've realized that's where I get my energy I get my energy through seeing others grow seeing them succeed and really helping others achieve their goals because it's it's become less about me and me achieving my own goals like obviously I will continue to do that and I'm very focused on that but I think you need to know where you get your energy and what motivates you and I've now come to realize that where I get my energy is through leading people so I, I will always now stay in people leadership roles because um, I know that's where that's kind of like one of my I feel like really that's one of my superpowers. And how long were you in that role that very first leadership role? 
Um, I look back, it was probably, I think it was about two and a half, maybe three years all up. So, um, so yeah, so it was a really good, really, really good experience. Actually, it might have been about two and a half years if I think just through the timings of it now. So about two and a half years. And, you know, we, we were able to sort of merge a number of teams. We, we delivered quite a lot. You know, we delivered um, $5 million worth of revenue to the business at one point. So it was a, it was a really, really mixed and very diverse role. But, um, but yeah, loads of, loads of fun and loads of learnings in those, in those very early days. So you've had your, your first taste of leadership. What move did you make and why? So when I'd been in, in this particular role, what I was wanting to do was really move further into more senior, senior leadership roles. And at the time, I was heavily focused on client services. Like that was the, the team that I was in. So very much working with your inbound support teams. I was um, leading a team where we were, we were basically sending out consultants to go and implement our software with, um, with accounting practices at the time. And then, you know, and then also a part of that, I had sort of an analytics, an analytics and also a data migration team that were also reporting through to me. So really the next, the next, um, the next change in my career really needed to be that step up in terms of senior, senior leadership. However, what I wanted to do and, and an opportunity came up where I wanted to broaden my, my business acumen. So by, by that stage, I'd probably spent, I'd worked in product development, I'd worked in customer service or client services um, as a consultant and then as a project manager, but I really wanted to sort of step outside of the client services world. And so, uh, you know, a new role was created for me to, to become a business analyst. And that, I think, was probably the tipping point in my career where my world was kind of blown open in a, in a po really positive way because what it did was it actually enabled me to learn a lot more about different parts of the business. So through that role, I was able to work more closely with sales. I worked more closely with marketing, finance. I was working with our CEO and our CFO at the time in terms of monthly insights and reporting and analysis. And I think it's, it's important as leaders that we've all got to work out how do we actually build our careers. And for me, that was something that I was very, I don't think looking back at the time, I was very conscious of, whereas I am now looking back saying that was a really, really good strategic move. However, because it was such a new role, I had to go into that role as an individual contributor. So I'd, I was still leading, but I wasn't necessarily responsible and directly responsible for people. And I think when you look at leading, um, when you know you look at leadership, I look at leadership now as that anybody can be a leader. You know, you don't have to have people reporting into you just to be a leader, but it's how you show up. It's how do you lead and drive change across an organisation. And thankfully, um, this role as the business analyst enabled me to still continue to focus in that area. And do you think you found it easier to move into that role because you had some previous leadership experience? Um, absolutely, because for me, any kind of, particularly in a in a senior in a senior management role, you need to ensure that you've one. I think you've you've proven yourself in the business and you've had proven success in in previous roles. But also, I knew at that stage, I knew the business quite well. So, or I knew one component of the business quite well. So then, for me to then work into other other parts of the business and learn other parts of the business wasn't such a stretch. But um, I think, you know, as a leader, and it depends on the type of leader that you are, ultimately where he, you can be a direct leader where you can directly control change, 
in many, many organisations, you actually need to influence. So that for me is how do you influence others to be able to drive change, to um, improve business results, whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're focusing on. So I think having had that proven, that previous experience under my belt definitely helped me have, um, work on my own confidence, but also it knew that it would definitely make things easier going forward in terms of, you know, the, the further change and the different leadership styles that I was going to need to lean on going forward into this new role. You mentioned just then the different leadership styles that you thought you might need. Are you able to expand mm-hmm. a little on that? Yeah, sure. So I think at the at the time, um, and this is probably another reflection if I look back, which is you know different to my leadership style now um, now today, for example. So if I look at when you think of leadership styles, you know, some people kind of want to just exert their authority because they it's kind of like that top-down leadership style. It's like, well, I'm the manager. I'm just going to delegate to you. You've got to do what I say. And, and I think, you know, early career, that would have been the approach that I would have taken. It's kind of like, well, you know, I'm the, I'm the leader of the team. I need you to, I need you to work with me and do this. And, you know, we're here to, you're here to drive outcomes. So it was much more sort of tactical and very, um, more, more sort of an operations project style focus. Whereas now what I like to adopt is I'm, I adopt much more of a servant leadership role and really um, I play more of a coach with my team. So, you know, I, I now lead a team of about 20, 20 or so of us here in Sydney and with my direct reports, what I try to do is I really adopt, and it's something that Intuit, um, our CEO, Brad Smith, is really, really world-renowned for, is what we refer to as servant leadership. So it's not me dictating to my team what I need to do. It's me working in, you know, in the trenches, you know, sleeves rolled up with my team to say, what do I need to do to help remove roadblocks for you? And then also me as a coach, which is something that I've really um, invested in over the last couple of years, is being able to help coach them through the situations to be able to make, you know, informed decisions as they go forward in, in succeeding in their own roles and obviously in their careers going forward as well. So very different styles, I think, in terms of a very, um, you know, potentially what could be perceived to be a very authoritarian style management approach or leadership approach versus servant leadership, which I think is very much about putting the employee first and me working out what can I do for them to help make them more effective in their role. You mentioned about the, the importance of coaching. Is it, it sounds like that's become a real hallmark of how you approach your own leadership because you mentioned that you've done a, uh, invested a bit of time and effort in expanding that part of your skill set. Absolutely. So I think that, I mean, as what I've found, in, and it's again, it's a reflection exercise. So if I look at how I've invested in myself, and I think this is something that as it's interesting when I talk to my team and I talk to people outside of the, the Intuit, Intuit QuickBooks family is that there's this perception sometimes is that we don't either invest in ourselves enough from a personal development perspective or we expect our managers to tell us what we need to do in order to do, invest in ourselves. So, you know, a couple of, about two years ago, I started a, an online business in the, in the health and wellness space and that really opened me up into thinking about my own personal growth and development. Um, you know, during that time, I, I studied health coaching to help my my son through a um, you know a skin a skin condition that we were that we were really struggling with at the time, and 
was able to cure, you know, cure his um his his condition. And in that, that really opened me up to more of the coaching practice because what I could realize is that within my professional role here at Intuit, I was able to, you know, tap into the coaching practices, which is really about asking great questions of the counterpart. And since then, I've now gone and invested more time and, and studied with the, um, the Institute of Executive Coaching and Leadership to work towards my, my level two coaching credential, where, you know, I'm now coaching CEOs and, and people in an external capacity as well, where what I'm doing is I'm helping them unlock their own potential. And I think that's what a great coach does. A coach doesn't tell you what to do because I could be coaching people in totally different industries. Um, I'm coaching people in my team who are technical engineers where I've never been a, a software engineer. It's absolutely not a skill set that I have, nor do I ever profess to be able to obtain in, in my technical skill set. Um, but, you know, I think that's the difference. You know, you can be a fantastic coach, but it doesn't mean that you have to be a subject matter expert in every single industry and every single role around the organisation. So for me, it's been a fantastic skill for me to develop as a leader because I can coach others across the business here internally. I can coach people in our in my team and also I can coach people externally. And again, it, it really, and I think that's another form of leadership that a lot of leaders could really, really um, invest in themselves. So... You've had some leadership roles. I'd like to fast forward to the present day, to where you are mm -hmm. now. Are you able to share a little bit more detail about the team that you lead, uh, some of the, for example, some of the performance metrics that you look for and how you set mm -hmm. expectations and just general sort of stuff like that if you can? Yeah, absolutely. So I've, um, as I said, I lead the the custom head of customer success here at Intuit Australia, and we have been here in Australia now for just on five years. I've been in this role for the last two, just over the last two years, and I joined the Intuit Australia business originally as a product manager, so a regional product manager on the ground to help achieve the, to basically help bring the the QuickBooks Online product to market here in Australia and to achieve the the product market fit. Fast forward about a year and a half into that role, an opportunity came up to lead the, the customer success team. And um, and it was kind of like going full circle for me in a way because I had done this role, sim a similar role to this in the past, the one that I sort of referred to earlier that I was talking about, but it was a totally different a totally different opportunity. So my team, I'm part of the, the senior leadership team here on the ground. So we have our own sort of steering committee, um, if you think of it that way, or we're sort of like our own little board of directors here in Australia to really drive growth in the Intuit Australia business. So I kind of see it as I have two roles. One, my role is to lead customer success, which is sort of my, my day job. And then the other part of my role is to be a business leader where, you know, around the table, we're working with our, our country manager, marketing director, sales director, head of finance to really make important and strategic business decisions that's going to set the, um, the Intuit Australia business up for future growth. So my team, my team actually, as I said, my team consists of about 20, about 22 or so heads here in Sydney. And I also have two, two teams that are offsite, one onshore and one offshore. And together we work to really support, um, to support the, the entire ecosystem of QuickBooks customers across Australia. So head of customer success is a pretty interesting title, I think. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Uh, it's quite it's quite broad, and I love the fact that we we used to be referred to as customer care, and really the the renaming to customer success 
it really personifies what we're here to do. So my team are here to help make small businesses, accountants and bookkeepers more successful. That That is ultimately what they do. And if I look at the, the core sort of functions that my team are responsible for, we obviously have a team focused on inbound, um, assisting our customers in inbound capacity. So that be through a phone or chat or email, um, particularly when they might have product questions that they might need some assistance with. You know, the customers can sort of pick up and you know pick up the phone and, and speak to my my team. Typically, they answer the phone in less than a minute. So we've got a, a fantastic service level in, in how quickly we answer we answer the phone. But in addition, I also have team members who are responsible for our social media and managing our online digital communities. I have team members who are focused on customer experience, so actually working in partnership with our product management team to proactively improve the customer experience. So we've got quite a broad, we've got quite a broad team. Okay. And what are you learning about yourself as a leader in this current role? Interesting. Um, I would say that over the, probably over the last few years, some of my biggest reflections have been what my triggers are. So one of the things that I know, and particularly when I'm leading other leaders, it's something that it's different when you're, you're directly leading a team, but as your team starts to scale and get bigger, you're leading through other people and your style is not necessarily the same style as other people. And that's okay. You know, I don't think, you know, I think that's good to get some diversity and get balance within, um, within any particular type of team. However, what I've started to learn about myself is what my non-negotiables are and what I refer to as my triggers. So my non-negotiables as a leader are one-on-ones with my team. Um, You could interview any of my team and they will tell you consistently that we have weekly one-on-ones and that's from more of an operational sort of focus but also once a month um, at Intuit what we do is we have what we call monthly development reviews and monthly development conversations. So I have an hour dedicated to each of my direct reports where I will spend time focusing on their personal goals. So what are their career aspirations? What are the opportunities that they're working on to sort of help develop? And then um, then we'll obviously focus on what their business goals are and, and business outcomes that they're driving. And for me, when I find out across the business, if some leaders maybe don't place the um, weekly one-on-ones or place one-on-ones with their team um, at a high priority, to me, it sends a message to the team saying, well, as a people leader, if you can't prioritise your team, why are you even leading people in the first place? So I've really learnt that in myself about what my triggers are, because I agree that you know, if you're leading people, your role is to lead people. Your role is not to have people doing the work for you. And it's something that I think that mindset adjustment is something that I've really worked on over the last couple of years to ensure that I prioritise my time across my team. But also I'm prioritising my time because my success is in part through what my team achieve. But also I also want to show up as a leader and obviously will continue to sort of drive and deliver results across the business as well, both as an individual contributor and as a people leader. Okay. What would you say you're, you're really good at? Ooh. Uh, <laughs> so we did this exercise at a, at a leadership offsite recently, actually, and, and the team, one of the things the team was sort of saying was, well, what, do you, what would you say are your superpowers? And I continually get feedback about my positive energy. And it's something that no matter what I do, no matter how I show up, um, to my team is that I always want to make sure that I'm I'm high energy, but not to the point that I'm crazy lunatic style high energy. Where people go, what's she? What's she on? Like this is this is not natural, um, because I think that 
one of the things I think about with leaders is that just because you're a leader doesn't mean you're going to have followers. And I've said this before, where the best leaders are leaders where people want to be a part of their team. So for me, the way I do that is by, by creating a, you know, an inspiring vision that people ultimately want to become a part of, but also the way I engage with people. So my positive outlook and my positive energy is what helps make people want to be a part of my team. You know, if I was someone who was kind of, you know, a bit down in the dumps and everything was all a bit too hard and, you know, it was just really low energy, that would reflect in my team. And if you think about what customer success do, Unfortunately, customers don't ring us up to proactive to say, hey, you're doing an amazing job. Thanks so much. Goodbye. What they typically do is ring us up to say, hey, I'm experiencing a difficulty with this or I don't know how to you know, customize my invoice or whatever the, the particular question may be. So it's really important that I continue to keep my, my team energy high and the way I do that is actually by keeping my own energy high and making sure I've got good work-life balance to make sure that I do, I am able to, to maintain my positive energy Okay, and the, and, and the flip side, what are you maybe not so strong in? Um, my my not so my strength, so my my weakness, I would say, would be um, when I feel it when I'm not balanced. So, for instance, I've learned going back to your earlier question about one of my reflections in, in my style over the last few years is that. I can reflect back to when I swing the pendulum too far in one direction, meaning my work-life balance gets gets out of whack. Um, and that I think is a, it's something important for every leader to ensure that we do have balance in our life. So, you know, you could ask anyone in the team here that, you know, I'm very passionate about what I do. I love what I do. And, you know, there's times when obviously as leaders we'll lean really, really heavily in and I, I look at it in terms of you'll have the peaks and troughs where you put in the hours, you'll do the hard work to get the results and, and drive, drive business results for the team. However, one of the weaknesses is when I do that, I then let my work-life balance start to slip. And typically for me, how that shows up is that I stop exercising, I stop making time for myself, um, and then I notice that that's where my stress levels start to rise. So what I've been able to work out is that, you know, I need to make sure that I continue to keep that balance. So something as simple as, you know, going for a run, you know, at lunchtime, you know, I might, I've got a, one of my, one of my friends here in the office will go for a run, usually around the Botanic Gardens here in Sydney on a, on a Monday. And that just gives me an opportunity to have a bit of a stress relief, some fresh air. And I think that's something that's really important because we always, we never prioritize time for ourselves. And then that shows up because you typically get snappier, you're tired, you become more run down. So that's definitely an area of opportunity that I'm continuing to work on. And I don't think we'll ever always have that balance perfect, but it's something that I'm now hyper aware of and really want to make sure that I, I don't let slip. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a real challenge for people as, as the pressure of leadership continues to grow and build and they're expected to do uh, more with less. I think more and more leaders are actually finding it hard to strike that balance which works for them. Absolutely. And and honestly, that's that was one of the probably the biggest ahas that I learned when I was when I was studying to become a health coach, because it's such an, you know, if we think of, um, you know, it's one thing to have a team where you're responsible for leading in a in your professional setting, but there's often people outside of work who also depend on you. So whether you've got a spouse, uh, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, children, parents, whoever it is, and they want you to be the best, the best version of yourself. So if you're stressed, frazzled, working 100 hours a week, I don't, I honestly don't think you're any, you're good to anybody when you're in that kind of zone because 
our bodies can only handle that fight or flight syndrome for you know for a short period of time and you know we all know there's so much science around you know what stress does to our bodies our heart you know um, how it creates so much toxicity in our system so for me what I like to do is as I said I will work as hard as I can but the way I do it now is I'm trying to work a lot smarter in how I actually show up every day and how I contribute. And I know I'm a much better leader and I'm a much better employee when I'm happy and I'm well. Um, and, you know, and that shows up in terms of, you know, sick days. You know, I can't, I can't recall the last time that I took a day off sick because I'm balancing that out. And I think I'm, I'm very thankful that we've got some amazing workplace benefits and wellness activities that we encourage here at Intuit that I think a lot of benefit, a lot of businesses could actually benefit from to encourage that work-life balance for their team, but also give us the support as employees to help us manage, you know, manage it from a mindfulness perspective, health and wellness, um, all of those different sort of benefits that I think a lot of, a lot of organisations are now starting to implement to help keep employees um, happy, healthy and well. Yeah, I'm sensing there's a real shift going on towards this idea of employee wellness. Uh, are you finding that there was a, a really strong uptake at Intuit when those employee wellness programs are introduced? Absolutely. So we, we've got a couple of great great programs that we really encourage. And, you know, one, we have a, a basically like a, a wellness benefit. So we have an, an annual an annual amount that we can um, we can choose to sort of basically it's a, it's a benefit that's offered to all employees where what you do is you know we get a thousand dollars a year that we can put towards gym memberships um, gym equipment massages uh, it could be um, appointments with sort of like a nutritionist or a dietitian helping you to sort of quit um, you know quit smoking and I think that you know I also went to a session with Len Lease a few months back and you know you've got large large companies like Len Lease doing so much scientific studies to understand the impact that employee wellness has on ultimately the profitability and the you know the engagement within the organization so you know I know I said I'm very very lucky to ensure that we've got some amazing tools and resources and programs that we roll out and a lot of employees you know really really take um, take those up because they can understand that they can go and get that remedial massage once a month now because it will be reimbursed to them you know on a monthly basis or they can pay for that gym membership which previously they may have found a little bit of a stretch you know potentially in a previous role or previous organisation, now we proactively, we fund that for them. So um, I think there's some amazing initiatives that, um, you know, that we have at Insure that are definitely benefiting a lot of our employees. Yeah, I imagine your employees would very much appreciate that. Absolutely, and that's and that's reflected in our engagement scores. So you know, we'll do a we do an, an engagement um, like a pulse survey. You typically three times a year, once every four months. And you know, a lot of a lot of businesses obviously do an annual employment um, an annual employee survey. And you know, thankfully, you know, and I think it's I should say thankfully, but you know, my team in our in our last pulse in our last pulse were considered you know one of our world class teams because our engagement levels were so high. And I think when you look at employee engagement, it's one thing in terms of, you know, your direct manager obviously plays a key role. The environment that they show up in and work in every day obviously plays a key role. The tools that they use, but also what sort of benefits do we offer as, as businesses and, and corporations to continue to retain and attract great talent to our organisations? And this is just one of, you know, these are just some examples, I think, of some of the programs that we, we've rolled out into it. So I'd like to uh, explore some of your, your views on leadership, if I can. First uh, question I've got for you is, what's the biggest leadership myth that you've come across in your travels? Oh, leadership myth, that's an interesting one. Um, I, one myth that could be, and, and this is something that I have heard, is that leadership's easy. 
you know, you're you're the boss. Do it. You know, um, you set the you set the tone. You know, people have to do what you say just because you're you're the boss. And you know, in inverted commas, and I think that's not that's definitely not the case. I think because there's different ways that you can uh, engage people in in how they go about doing their work. And as I said, I've had I've had team members in in previous organisations where just because you're the boss doesn't mean that they're going to do what you say or what you ask them to do. So um, that's where I think that just because you're in a leadership role doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually going to be easy. How do you describe yourself as a leader? You mentioned you've got positive energy as, as a bit of a, a superpower. Is there any, any other sort of leadership traits you think really stand out? Um, so what I, yeah, what I'd like to, to think about if like my team was sort of to describe me, I'm very, I'm very people focused. So I absolutely put my team, my team first. I, as I said, the, the high energy is really important just to create that positive and that inspiring environment that people actually, actually want to be a part of. Um, but also as a, as a leader, I'm not afraid to take risks. So one of the things that I do at Intuit is I'm also an innovation coach. So one of our, we, we call them innovation catalysts and we you know, we have a team of us around the globe who coach and teach innovation practices within the business. So when I look at my, my sort of traits as a leader, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to encourage my team to take risks and take an experimentation mindset when we're launching new things to market. So even though we're in customer success, we can still test different, you know, different approaches, testing how we can actually, um, it could be something like testing, how do we engage and train our existing team members or our onboard only team members? So really, I'm very, very supportive as a, as a leader, but also I'll challenge and I'll encourage my team to take some risks and, you know, and I'm there to support them. So I think that's, that's another one of my character traits is that they know that I've always got their back. They know I'll always support them, but I'll always challenge them at the same, you know, and the same in the, by the same token to ensure that they're continuing to sort of push things forward to make sure that we're delivering results for the business and our customers. So I'm always curious if leaders use any sort of specific methodologies, frameworks, models that they've come across. Obviously, we train a lot of different models, so that's why I'm curious to know what are people actually using in the workplace. Is there anything that you use? I'm not someone who sort of prescribes to a, a particular model per se. Um, I think there's a lot of, you know, if I look back to sort of previous sort of tra official, like a official training and sort of, you know, external training that I would have had, I, I can, ref you know, reflect on, you know, situational leadership, I think is a fantastic, a fantastic tool and a fantastic type of uh, leadership style that we can sort of be, you know, trained through because I think a lot of the leadership experience that we get is, is basically on the job. So it's it's being able to sort of align yourself with a great mentor and having someone who has potentially walked that path pre, you know before you have, where you can um, learn from learn from what they do well, and also sometimes learn from what they don't do well. You know, I've had plenty of leaders where I think they've done some amazing things, and I've had some plenty of leaders that I've just gone, there is no chance I would ever do what you've just done, or you know, would I adopt that as my particular style of leadership? So I think that's part of it. You need to find what works best for your personality type. You know, I'm I'm what I would consider an extroverted person where I'm quite happy to go and um, introduce myself to new people around the business. You know, as our business grows, it feels like there's new people to, to learn their names on a regular basis. Whereas I know that other leaders in my team may not have that same level of confidence. So I feel like you've got to kind of pick what best works for you. And part of it is really aligning on, you know, what also suits the culture of the organisation. Um, as I've sort of said, you know, for us at Intuit, it's very much a, a servant leadership style culture. 
where we align heavily around what we call our true north goals. So our true north goals are what we're trying to achieve as a business globally and then really, really ensuring that we've got complete alignment from our achieving our true north goals all the way through to all of our employees who are you know, basically frontline staff so they understand the impact of the work that they're doing and how that ultimately leads up to our customer success and obviously um, ultimately our business success as well. So I don't think there's one single model, Julian, to be honest with you, that I could sort of quote. Um, but I said I think it would just be a, a bit of a selection of a couple of different things that I've seen work really well and my own personal experiences over the years as well. What's your biggest leadership challenge right now? Oh, my biggest leadership challenge right now, um, I would say finding great talent like every leader I think out there I am very lucky that I've had I've got a, a role open at the moment where it was due to an internal promotion and so I think you kind of become you become the product of your own or the victim or product of your own success sometimes where you as a leader one of the things I, I am most proud of is when I see people grow out of my out of their roles and move into other parts of the organization and one of the roles that I'm, I'm currently backfilling now is to backfill one of those roles where someone's been promoted into another another part of the organization and whilst on one hand I'm so happy and thrilled for that person because I was a big part myself and another leader were a big part of making that happen for this particular individual I'm now at the unfortunate position where I need to find someone as, you know, hopefully as equally as amazing to be able to sort of um, fill their shoes or create, you know, create a new experience um, now that that person has left that role vacant. So um, I would say finding great people I think is always one of our biggest leadership challenges because, you know, you don't want to lose, you don't want to lose people, but we also want to make sure that we continue to help people grow and tap into, um, you know, really maximise the opportunities in their career as well because we can't hold people in roles forever and um, and that's something that I think it does create its own challenges, but they're good, I think they're actually good challenges as leaders that we have to work through. And so how are you planning to grind that one out? Just keep looking for that <laughs> one, trying anything yeah. new? <laughs> no, look, we have a we have a very robust um, interviewing approach. So our our talent team will ultimately um, identify you know identify talent. We you know we work really closely to, ident to identify what are the skills and what are the values that we're looking for because I think you can have the most talented person in the world, but if there's no alignment on the values from the person and the organisation, then it doesn't matter what you do. I think there'll always be a misfit. So for me, it's a case of um, you know talking to people who I think will have who have the talent, who have the the same values and the same um, aspirations as in terms of what they're trying to achieve in their career, and then we go through a, a process what we call assessing for awesome, where myself and a, and a panel of um, of interviewees in the in you know will actually assess some of these skills for this particular role. So um, hopefully that role is not vacant for, for too much longer. But um, but I think that's something that um, you want to make sure that you make the right fit for the role. Because again, if I look back to learnings, we've all rushed to hire and put someone in a role and we probably, in hindsight, you probably shouldn't have. Shouldn't have. So um, I'd much rather now be more cautious when I, when I put someone into a role and make sure it's the right person for the right role versus just rushing just to put basically put someone into a seat. I find it interesting to, to, to understand how different leaders um, measure their own success. Mm -hmm. How do you measure your success as a leader? So a couple of ways. So I think there's, I mean, if I think through my own monthly development review, um, there's a couple of areas. So one, I obviously want to measure my success from a personal development perspective, and I, I sort of alluded to that earlier, where not only do I, you know, I, I have to lead by example as part of that, because it's... 
I can't expect my team to go and invest in themselves if I'm not investing in, in myself as a leader. So I think that's one thing. That's one way I sort of measure my own success and how am I growing, how am I getting external inspiration um, to really bring back to the team or bring back to the Intuit business to really take us, to continue to take us forward. That'd be one area. And then obviously my, my KPIs, it, it becomes quite straightforward. So for me in customer success, um, in any any team that has any kind of um, phone-based team or any kind of role where there's a lot of metrics, it becomes really easy to be able to work out whether you're succeeding or failing. So for us, it's it's looking at you know our service levels, our abandon rates, um, our transactional net promoter scores. There's a number of those sort of um, quantitative metrics that we can actually we can actually sort of track and, and see how I'm going against target. And then there's the other metrics such as engagement scores. So as I alluded to earlier, you know I have a, a target of having an engagement score of 85 for my for my quarterly or my sort of um, three times a year pulse surveys. So that's another way that I look to really assess my own leadership in terms of how am I actually performing in the role. And then annually, obviously, we have an annual sort of performance review process at Intuit. So that's another way just to continue to calibrate to make sure that I am performing at the standard that I that I expect, but also that my manager expects of me as well. So I feel like it's a very it's a very robust kind of um, way of sort of assessing my leadership style and, and what results I'm delivering for the team, for business, and our customers. Uh, you mentioned earlier that that you're you're more than comfortable you know, just walking into a room and introducing yourself to people. I find that a lot of leaders that we work with don't exactly see networking as a, as a key part of their role. Uh, how do you go about it? Look, I think it's it depends on the nature of the role. And, I, you know, I look at my, my, you know, if I reflect back to my learnings over the years, I know that I don't have all the answers. And I've worked with some amazing leaders where what they, what they say is, like, surround yourself with people smarter than you and that's how you will continue to grow. You know, my team continue to teach me things every day, which is what I love and that's what keeps me passionate and enthusiastic about what I do. But there's also times where I recognise that I need to step out of the business here um, you know, at Intuit to be able to seek inspiration from others. And that's why I do place a lot of emphasis on networking. So whether it's going to meetups, whether it's going to um, a breakfast event, I'm not saying that I'm doing something every week, but I actually have something on my development plan that on a either on a monthly basis I'll attend a breakfast event or a you know some sort of product information session. Um, last week I, I went to a, a session focused on um, managing customer um, managing customer expectations, and you always can take away one key. Typically, I find you can always take away one key insight from an event like that. So it might be a Thursday night at six o'clock, um, there's always something going on. And I think it's really important that as leaders, we continue, that's part of that investing in ourselves because it's not like I'm going, I don't think that's a case of going, go to a course each month or go to a course every three months because that's not necessarily going to be a, a way for you to be, continue to sort of network and meet peers in that particular industry that you're in. But when you're meeting on an informal basis, even just over drinks or it could be a coffee or a breakfast session, you'll typically find people in the same sort of industry as you and that could open up an opportunity to say, hey, this is working really well for our business. Have you considered trying this or maybe a site visit? And I think that's something where, you know, as leaders we need to continue to build our network to work out how do we learn and continue to, to look at ways that we can change and grow, um, grow our businesses, you know, to basically continue to add value. Okay. So I'd like to like to step towards the future for a little bit. Mm -hmm. what, what does the future hold for you? What are you looking to achieve? 
So that's a, that's a really, really great question. So what I'd like to achieve for customers, for the, my role here at Intuit Australia is, you know, for, for our team of customer success, you know, last year we were ranked number one, number one Australia for service excellence in a small contact centre. And this year we're, we're finalist again for that category. And, you know, and another, um, an additional category in terms of service innovation. So I would love to say that, you know, Julian, that we could win that award with the, um, the Customer Service Institute of Australia in November this year. Um, so that would be what, that would definitely be one thing. But in addition, what I'm, what I think every great leader does is that they need to look to make them, ultimately make themselves redundant by creating a succession plan. So for me, what I want to do is I want to make sure that I, I leave a legacy, whichever role that I'm, I'm in now, whether I'm in this exact same role two years, three years, five years from now, is that I leave it better than I found it. I leave the role better than I found it. But also I'm building up my team so that when that time does come, that they ultimately know exactly what happens and there's, you know, there's low, no churn that, you know, happens within the business. I think for us as a, you know, as a startup sort of business, I continue to add value across our business. So I love working with um, sales. I love working with marketing. And I think strong leaders, not only do they have really, really deep subject matter and domain knowledge, but they're also really, really good cross-functional leaders. And that's definitely an area that I'm personally working on developing in myself. So, you know, improving my skills in digital marketing, you know, working with our sales teams, working with our finance teams to lead initiatives across the business, because I think that's what keeps us versatile as leaders. So I think that's something that, you know, part of my vision is to, you know, obviously to continue to take my team forward where we continue to maintain our status as one of the best teams in Australia and hopefully take home a few a few additional awards on, on top of that. And for myself, look at how do I continue to be a really, really strong leader locally um, and obviously being a very, very broad and a very cross-functional, a very strong cross-functional leader as well. It, it sounds like you're, you've got a very deliberate approach to uh, your own development which is, which is interesting because what I'm finding is mm -hmm. that a lot of senior leaders don't necessarily have the structure and the plan about how they're going to develop. It tends to be more reflective and, and more sort of uh, on the job. So is that mm -hmm. something you've made a conscious effort to really focus in on? Absolutely. And I, and I think it's as you, you know, as you become more of a, a senior executive, you need to, you need to have people around you to keep you accountable. So it depends because I think the further up you, you sort of go hierarchically, you're not having a manager, you know, whether you're reporting to a CEO, whether you're reporting to an, you know, an operate, chief operations officer, it depends on wherever you, you ladder up to in the organisation. The higher up you go, you know, you're expected to be a lot more autonomous. So, you know, for me personally, I work with my, my manager on a monthly basis to sort of help me, you know, help her give me some insights. But she's not there to tell me, well, Bianca, here's where I see your biggest opportunities are. You know, I'm the one who's ultimately looking for feedback amongst my peers because my, my lead is based in Singapore and, and I'm based here in Sydney. So I'm actually looking proactively managing feedback from my peers and saying, well, look, you guys send me on a day-to-day -day basis where are the biggest opportunities that you think I could continue to better improve myself? So absolutely, I think we need to manage our own development as leaders because it, and leaders and our careers because no one else is going to manage that for you. You know, I'm very thankful that I have a coach here within the Intuit business that I work with who's been amazing and she's, a, she's basically a, an executive coach who works with us. And for me now, I'm now coaching executives myself and, and it's, it's a great exercise for me to be able to sort of practice what I preach because I'm applying 
my own, um, you know, as I said, my own sort of structure and thoughts to managing my own career, my own personal development, and doing that now with other executives outside of this business. So I think if you don't have a coach, if you're an executive or someone is a leader and you don't have a coach, I'd be looking into getting a coach. And if it's not a coach, maybe start with a mentor um, because I think that's part of it. The higher up you go, it can be difficult to get that unbiased feedback without people feeling that they, get, they may lose their job if they're, you know, they're going to give you honest feedback. But I think that feedback piece is such an important part of your ongoing personal growth and development. Yeah, it's interesting what you say there about the the feedback because I went to a, an, a leadership event a couple of weeks ago and one of the, the people in the room, she was an executive coach, but she was from Germany. And she said one of the things that she's noticed when she's come over to Australia is the Australians' reluctance to give that direct uh, feedback to each other and <laughs> through fear or through whatever. But it was just a really interesting observation. It is, and it's it's something that I've I've really I love this about the insurance culture. So we have a very um, we have a very high feedback culture, and I think in in previous roles, whenever you, your manager would call you in, and I distinctly remember a manager saying to me, "He's like, oh Bianca, you know, have you got a moment? I've got some feedback," and I physically like you know tensed up, thinking, oh, "What's he going to say?" And he wasn't giving me negative feedback at the time. However, at Intuit, we have this you know part of our culture is to continue to give feedback, and we give feedback with the best intent. So it's been really interesting watching some employees come into the business where they're not used to this high feedback culture that we have, you know, and it takes time to sort of build that trust and that rapport with, you know, the individual that you're, you're going to give that feedback to because we give people feedback to build them up, not to tear them down. And I think it's something that I'm seeing more progressive companies moving to that model because I encourage my team members. So if I've got two frontline agents who are, you know, answering phone calls, if one, you know, doesn't necessarily agree with how one person may have handled a particular interaction or how they showed up in a particular meeting, rather than say, well, you need to go and talk to the manager, we encourage them to give that feedback peer-to-peer through a model that we call SBI, which is basically the situation, the behaviour and the impact. And what it does is, it one, it takes a little bit of the... Um, it, it, it sort of it softens it a little bit because it's coming from a peer-to-peer. And as I said, we spend more time with our peers than we do with our direct managers. But by creating a high feedback culture, people don't brace and sort of feel like, going, oh, there's that F word again and I'm really, really struggling to get feedback. But we're encouraging this and it always becomes conversational in how we go about our day-to-day. So I think that's something that I've loved about the Intuit culture, that we continue to give feedback and it's in the moment feedback. It's not feedback once a year. It's not feedback once a month. We try to give it as close to the situation as possible, but we also balance it with positive feedback because feedback's not always negative. It should be that five to one ratio. So, you know, positive, 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 positive. And then if you've got to give constructive feedback, it doesn't, you know, it's it doesn't feel as jarring because you've built the trust, you've built the rapport and people know that you have their best intent um their best intentions at heart yeah the sbi model is a really good one we started introducing that about three years ago to our to our clients and that the the feedback about the feedback model has been really (laughs) really strong it's a great model for people it's awesome. It's so simple. I mean, I'd say, you know, like like many organisations, you know, we, we have lots of different, um, we do have different models that we use. You know, for me, the two that I find, um, and they don't necessarily relate to my leadership style per se, you know, going back to your earlier question, but I think 
the SBI feedback model is really, really impactful here for us at, um, at Intuit. And then secondly, the grow model from a coaching and a goal setting sort of perspective. I think they're the two, like if I can have my entire team feel comfortable with both of those two sort of approaches, I think that's something that um, it's a really straight, they're both really straightforward and simple approaches for people to adopt in their day-to-day and how they go at their day-to-day. So um, that's definitely something that, um, that we try to encourage and teach across the business. Yeah. Industry sector, what challenges are you going to face in the, in the next couple of years? Well, I think from an, from being in the, the cloud accounting industry, the QuickBooks brand has been in Australia for more than 20 years. So from a, from a desktop sort of perspective. Our, our, biggest tech, our biggest challenges, I think, that we face in our industry is just the rapid pace of technology changing and really helping to take our customers on that journey. So as I said earlier, we work predominantly with small businesses who are, you know, sort of anywhere from sort of less, typically less than 20 employees in size, and, and obviously we have some that are larger than that, uh, accountants and bookkeepers and, and the self-employed. And there's a huge, there's a huge market um, of people who fall into those, into those categories. Categories. So our, our biggest challenges going ahead is really helping customers um, make that transition from desktop to cloud and really ensuring that they're leveraging the best practice technology solutions to help them run their business. So that'd be looking at leveraging, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning, um, you know, embracing mobile technology, mobile solutions. And we continue to invest in that as, as part of our QuickBooks product strategy. So I think our biggest challenges will be helping customers keep up with the pace of technology change and ensuring that they don't get left behind in the process. How are you? How are you finding that your customers are dealing with uh, rapidly changing technology? Are they sort of are they realizing they have to keep up, or do you still have some of those organisations saying, "Oh, you know, we've always done it this way." <laughs> I think I think that depends on the. I think you've got a lot of, um, and we you sort of found this when you're when we're working with the mentor. So you know, you sort of mentioned earlier. Um, you know, I was lucky to sort of do some work with Mark Boris a couple of months back, and. There's so many small businesses that are either family owned and family run and they've run their businesses the same way they have for the last 20 years because that's what, because it's a generational thing. So, you know, the it, potentially it could have been the father, the mum, the dad, this is how they've always done it this way. And then if the children then come into the family business, they're expected to almost run the business the same way. However, when you look at, you know, we're looking more to go more digital, obviously um, the Australian economy works going so much more digital and the Australian tax office have a number of initiatives that are helping um, helping small businesses to go digital. So you, you kind of have to get to at some point you have to get on board that on on board that train because if you don't I think you do run the risk of, of that train leaving the station and then you really really fall far behind. So if I look at you know there's initiatives um, that the Australian Tax Office obviously running in terms of single touch payroll and a number of different um, opportunities that are there designed to help small businesses move to making a transition to moving online with their you know running their books in our case obviously running their accounting their accounting software solutions so some i think have in the past potentially taken that ostrich effect and they may have chosen to put their head in the sand and and use the hope that it will all go away but um but i think the you know and we're seeing the australian tax office is helping businesses by saying look we're going to move to these transitions we've simplified gst we're now moving to single touch payroll and in order to make that change, you know, businesses do need to go digital. So we want to make it as easy as possible for our customers to make that transition. You know, if they're using a desktop solution now, um, you know, and they want to move to an online online mobile solution, we need to make that frictionless and as easy as possible. And that's um and that's definitely a challenge that um that I think many many businesses in our industry definitely. 
Are there any leaders that you look up to or that inspire you? Absolutely, our um, our outgoing CEO. So Brad Smith um, is a is one of you know one of what I would say one of the world's greatest CEOs, and I've had the privilege of meeting Brad a number of times on his visits to Australia, and I I'd, I'd thought I'd seen some pretty amazing CEOs in my time until the first time I'd I'd met and, and watched and watched Brad, and the best way I think to describe Brad is just iconic. And I, I can't, and people sort of think, oh, yeah, you know, you're all just drinking the Kool-Aid and all that sort of stuff. But to me, because that's, I can understand that from an external, um, an external perspective. But Brad is the type of leader who is present, who is engaged, who makes time for people. He, you know, he's the type of person that, you know, he will come to Australia typically, you know, once a year. And when I, when I last saw him um, here in, in Sydney, he made a point of saying, Bianca, I love seeing what you've been up to on Facebook. How's your business going? And and I was blown away and I was like, how does this guy who is the CEO of a Fortune 500 company make time for little old me here in Australia um, to really take that time and be vested in, you know, my own success and my own development? And I think he's, he's just a class act. So I think when you've got leaders who are running multi-billion dollar companies such as Intuit, who can still make time for everybody across the globe. And, and with him, you know, we've just announced that he'll be retiring effective 1st of January and Sasan Ghazazi, who will be his incumbent, is currently one of our SVPs and also an amazing leader. When you see that the transition and that handoff, it's, it's you know, it's... um. It's something very, very special because I know Brad takes time with you know, he takes that time to really understand people. He's very transparent in his leadership. And as I said, you know, he really leads from the front, but he's also very, very supportive of the whole team. So um he was definitely he is definitely someone who I say I think a lot of us here actually aspire to be. And when you look at the impact that he's had globally, um he's definitely one of one of the best. So um yeah, we're very, very fortunate to he'll be here in a, in a couple of weeks. We're very, very fortunate to have Brad spending time with us. Anytime I get that opportunity I really want to drink it all up and make the most of it because um he's definitely there's something very special about him as a leader and where can people find out more about you and about Intuit where should they go Sure. So if anyone would like to find out more about me, I think the, the best way to find me is probably on LinkedIn, as most of us professionally connect. So, um, you know, Bianca Bauer and Cuthill, you can connect with me on LinkedIn if you need to. And then obviously I have all my, my usual sort of social media channels, which you'll, you'll be able to sort of connect with there if you choose to follow me on Instagram or on Facebook, whatever the, the preferred method is. Um, however, from a product perspective, the best place to learn more about our QuickBooks product is quickbooks.com.au. And from there, you'll be able to have a look if there's any small businesses or accounts or bookkeepers who want to learn more about the products. I would definitely encourage them to, to go to that site. Or conversely, if they want to learn more, you know, send me a, a LinkedIn message and I can definitely connect you with one of our team, whether you're looking to join the team, whether you're looking at our products, uh, whatever the case may be, I'll definitely do my best to, to connect you with the right people in our business. Any last words on leadership? Uh, great. <laughs> this is, you're putting the pressure on me now, Julian, to sort of try to finish with something inspirational. Um, look, I think I sort of, I sort of said it before and I think it's really for leadership. It just comes down to lead by example. You know, don't ask your team to do something that you're not prepared to do as a leader. And I think they're very, they could be very, considered to be very simple words of, words of advice or words of wisdom. But, um, but I think leading by example is something really, really key. And um, as leaders, if you can take that into your career and take that into when you're having your conversations with your team going, am I asking my team to do something that I'm not prepared to do? 
Why are you even asking them to do it in the first place? So, um, you know, I think leading by example and remembering that not all leaders have followers. So by leading by example, you will build the team, you will create that momentum that um, the people ultimately want to be a part of. So, um, yeah, I wish everybody well in their leadership, um, their futures in leadership. Well, thank you so much, Bianca, for being a part of the podcast. Really appreciate it. All the best. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Julian. Really appreciate it. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy and Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. See you next time.